Welcome to the Microbials Matter podcast, where microbials matter. We welcome our host, Dr. William Zimmer, veterinarian and founder of BioVet. Dr. Zimmer has dedicated over 30 years to researching and developing products that support digestion and overall health in livestock. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Microbials Matter, our podcast with Dr. Zimmer. And, you know, Dr. Zimmer, we've been talking, gosh, I think this is our sixth episode now. So we've been talking about a lot of different topics. And there's one kind of reoccurring theme that today we're going to finally touch on. You know, today I think we're going to we're going to take a minute and focus a little more on calves that first 30 days when when calves um, are are born are in existence. You know, we learned here just a few episodes ago about, you know, Ideally, they're born without any microbiome and they start developing that almost immediately. So, you know, let's talk a little bit more about that. So when calves are born, right, they're on the clock. We want to get them taken care of. We want to get them the best start that they possibly can. We have some traditional steps of dipping navels and getting colostrum in them. You know, in your experience, what more can we do in that that first kind of moments of life that we can add to our management protocol maybe to help support calves and and get them off to a strong start? Well, let's start with the two that you mentioned, which is dipping and colostrum. Um, One important point that I would like to make for dipping is to make sure that we're dipping navels until those navels are dry. And Mm -hmm. that can actually take a couple of days. So don't just dip them once and think you're done. Make sure you check those navels, make sure they're dry. Once they're dry, then we, we reduce that risk of infection through that navel. With colostrum... The things I'd like people to understand about colostrum is we've always been told that it's antibodies. This is our passive immunity that's going into these calves. And so vaccination of the cows and actually vaccines for the calves can also supplement that colostrum when needed. You can work with your veterinarian on that. What we also need to understand is that colostrum is so much more than just antibodies. Yeah. Colostrum actually helps develop and support that microbiome. So those as those organisms that we want to beneficially get into that digestive tract and colonize there, colostrum actually helps with that. There's been studies that are out there that show really? that it'll actually increase that anywhere from two to tenfold. And so that's a huge part of getting that microbiome started. It's also a huge part of getting that barrier function of that digestive tract to start and go. The, the epithelial mm-hmm. cells that are there actually colostrum causes them to to come together. So the analogy I make with that is it's kind of like I want to build a castle and the rocks are strewn all over the field. With colostrum, it actually is like collecting the rocks and building a wall. So that's kind of one of the functions that colostrum does. So it's much more than just antibodies and it's it's literally liquid gold and we want to make sure that we're utilizing it to our best of our ability for those calves. And I mean, you know, to that point, um, we want to make sure that, you know, in the navel, we're using the right type of iodine and right. so seven, we want to make sure we're using... At least a 7% tincture of iodine if you're mm-hmm. using iodine, or you can use a concentrate, of, I believe it's 4% uh, chlorhexidine if you mm-hmm. would prefer to use chlorhexidine. Iodine actually works a little bit better just because it has more of a drying effect than chlorhexidine does. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so there are some advantages and disadvantages, but chlorhexidine is something that we have readily available as well. Yeah, so be sure you're you're checking those labels when right. you pick up the iodine. And then, you know, even the colostrum, there's, as we've talked before, there's a lot of variety and quality, so... There is, and we need to make sure that we're, we're measuring that on occasion, um, watching our colostrum management as part of the whole system, everything that goes on. Again, as part of that, that management program for that calf, so if we can identify those two as our main things, dipping and colostrum, and then 
Also look at it and think about that calf and go, what can I do for it nutritionally besides colostrum? And what can I do to help support that microbiome? Sometimes nutritionally, we're not really sure where the dry cow rations are. Mm -hmm. Heifers come in, for example, and they have a different ration than our older dry cows. So some kind of a nutritional support with an antioxidant, for example, some extra vitamin E, those types of things. And then microbial support, giving them a good dose of beneficial bacteria at birth is a good way to get that population started. When I first started BioVet, I had a colleague that had a saying, and he came to me and says, look, he says, I have to be able to explain this really complex interaction and system to somebody that knows nothing about microbes. We can't see them. You know, how do I describe right, yeah. this? And so he said, what I've come up with is the army with the mostest, the fastest wins. It's and true. Yeah. If you break it down, that's really a, a very simplified way of describing this. If we get good beneficial bacteria there in high numbers, they can colonize and dominate. If that calf is born, first face, you know, face down into the manure, full of pathogens, and they get a foothold, then we're struggling all the time with them. So really the army that gets there first with the mostest little bacteria wins. And that's kind of a neat little way to, to think about that's this. That's a great way to think about it. And, you know, I think colostrum is such a powerful um, nutritional and, and support uh, vehicle for baby calves. I mean, it, I think we're aware of that, but maybe not to the point of the microbiome. So... You know, when you're helping to establish that microbiome, you know, why is that, you know, we talked a little bit about it um, already, the, the bigger the army, but how can establishing that early, you'll know, play out maybe in a longer term situation or just, you know, important, why is that just so important for calves? Getting that microbiome established actually sets the tone for their entire life. If we get rapid development, we get that good gut integrity that's there, that barrier function, that not only reduces their risks of infection, things like diarrhea, things that we often see in calves can be due to this microbiome dysfunction or the barrier not being where it needs to be. But really, those things affect that cow or, or that animal for the rest of their life. And so mm -hmm. we really want to focus on that. And as far as diarrhea goes, I think we're going to cover that a little bit later on, but are, it, yeah. it's really critical to understand one of the main things with diarrhea is if diarrhea occurred, I guarantee you that the microbiome has been upset. It cannot sure. happen if the microbiome right. is where it needs to be because that interaction, that gut wall that either is having some issue with a bacteria or a virus that's affecting it, um, that's all part of that microbiome. So the microbiome has been upset no matter what if we have diarrhea. You know, I think just taking a step back, to clarify, we understand that the rumen is underdeveloped in calves. And, you know, when we talk microbiome, we're talking more than just that rumen, right? We're talking small intestines. We're talking small lower intestines, intestines yes, yeah, small, okay. large intestines, everything, especially in young calves. We're really looking at the small intestine is probably the most critical section it's of the digestive the tract. Is. Yeah. When we start seeing diarrhea, that's usually where there's an insult to that microbiome. So really, I mean, when we say establishing microbiome early in calves, we're really talking quite literally about their gut, their small intestine, because yeah, so much of their nutrition, so much of their support and, and immunity is, is starting to come right out of that small intestine. You know, you touched on this a little bit that the microbiome plays into their productivity or their health maybe across their lifetime. You know, what have you seen or what can you kind of, uh, knowing what you know, kind of predict about down the road productive life, if we get this established, if we're able to kind of jumpstart that microbiome, what have you kind of seen or what do you kind of know about as they grow and then even into productive life or even into, you know, what does that mean for maybe their calcium base or their first calves? 
Well, let, let's start at the beginning and kind of work our way through that. Mm-hmm. Um, the one example I'll use is the immune system of these animals. Animals have what we call gut-associated lymphoid tissue, a big, long technical term that basically means how much of the immune system is actually in the gut. And about 60% of the total immune system of an animal is actually in their gut. So So, that's a huge amount associated just with the gut. And anything that happens to that immune system in the gut then affects the rest of the animal systemically. So Mm -hmm. as I get an older animal, for example, if I have some inflammation going on in the gut, maybe that makes me more prone to some kind of an inflammatory response in the udder or the feet or those types of things. And so we can have these, these signals that go on within the immune system that trigger other parts of the body. And we want to make sure that we keep that gut healthy because that's usually where the insult can start a lot of times. That's I mean, why 60% of their immune system right? is dedicated to that barrier. We kind of learned a little bit about this when we talked acidosis, right? It, Correct. It kind of is systemic. This is one it of the things that goes on and, and that can be part of it. The other thing we need to consider with the immune system is energy savings. If that microbiome has been disrupted somehow and we do have to mount an immune response, even if it stays local, There's estimates that it takes about 40% extra energy to mount an immune response. And that's energy energy. that we're going to then lose out of growth or milk production if we're a mature animal, you know, those types of things. And and it's a huge amount of energy. So we really want to make sure that we're not constantly having to mount, you know, these small immune responses that are costing all this energy because it really does take a hit on productivity then. Again, growth rates diminish off, health diminishes off we start running into a whole bunch of issues that really cut into our bottom line as producers. And it's really critical to keep those animals healthy if we want to be able to maintain that productivity and that profit. You know, that's really part of what we want to do. I think a lot of the research that's out there, especially in dairy cows, Mm -hmm. is focused more on growth rates of animals. We know that if they grow at a faster rate as a younger calf, that equals more milk production once they're mature animals. Well, the biggest limiting factor to growth is disruption of that microbiome where we're getting some kind of a systemic or even local immune response that's slowing them down. So they're... Diarrhea, for example. If a calf gets diarrhea once, eh, maybe not too bad a hit. If she gets it a second or third time, you're going to see a, a loss in potential milk in the future. Same with pneumonias. Anything that sets a calf back then affects that milk production for the future. Also affects their reproduction because they're probably starving a little bit more for energy. If I've got constant immune response in the gut... I don't get as good absorption of nutrients going on in the future. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, I have less energy to deal with. I'm programmed as a cow to give milk once I give a calf, and that dominates over getting bred again to have another calf. So sometimes it can affect immunity. I mean, there's an energy priority list. There certainly is, and our cows, especially today, their genetics are such that they have way higher genetic potential to produce milk then we can feed them for, and so milk takes precedence for them in a lot of cases. Reproduction and health get knocked right. down a few rungs, if you will, in right. their priority list. Which, again, we've touched on a little bit before today about, you know, how the microbiome can help support reproduction, can help support milk production. You know, I And think it starts on day one. I find it fascinating. Cows are fascinating. And I think, you know, the bigger picture here is not only is she reprioritizing energy when she's having to spend it on on feeling better but you know if you're doing any sort of treatment protocol that's money if it's loss in milk that's money and energy is an expensive part of the feed bill at the end of the day right so all the way around you really want to make sure that she's using the energy that she's consuming the way you want her to to use energy right and and it it is one of the most expensive parts of the 
diet, if you will, just based on how much we need per gram or something like that. Yeah, there's vitamins might be worth more, but just the sheer amount of energy that we need to function in our daily lives and that cows need to have, it's really one of the largest parts of the, the bill when it comes to paying for that. Right. Feed bill. Right. So why would you want to, you know, not make sure she's utilizing it? It makes sense. It's common sense, maybe. But at well, the end and, of the day, it's always. Yeah. And, and again, this is kind of hindsight is always twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. I can look at an animal and say, well, yeah, she's not doing that great. And I can go back and look and see what happened to her as a calf and go, well, maybe that's the reason. But I can't go back and fix it. Right. So we really need to think about this as, as milk producers of, of, you know, if we're going to look at the calves and our replacement animals that are coming in. What are we doing for them starting on day one? Because that is the future of your herd. Yeah. That is the future of you being in the business. And something as simple as just helping to to promote the right army, as you said, or the right uh, bacteria can make literally a, a whole productive life of difference, which we kind of kind of leads into, you know, my next question of benefits calf raisers might see. So if you're jump starting this microbiome, what can you maybe physically see in these calves if we get them off on the right foot, if we get that microbiome really producing the right kind of bacteria early? Well, this is one of my favorite things about using microbiome and microbial cultures to support that microbiome in young calves. We're going to see bigger calves. When that is right, you can see growth. And it's Mm -hmm. something that you can notice within 30 to 60 days in calves. Whereas when I go to the lactating herd, you know, do I see a response or not? How do I measure it? You can measure it pretty easily in these young growing animals. And calves typically grow faster when they grow faster, that means that we can either make it easier for weaning, mm-hmm. which is a big thing. Some people would point towards we can wean them earlier. I'm, that's not a goal, by the way. Weaning early is, should never be your goal when it comes to these calves. Weaning calves that are growing faster and then have the proper rumen development is what should dictate when we wean a calf. And right. so calves that grow faster are going to come up on grain intake a little bit faster, which is going to stimulate that rumen development. And so that's really where we're going to get this additional benefit from from getting that microbiome kick-started and going is growth rates, rumen development, mm-hmm. and, and then being able to switch them over from milk onto drier feeds. We obviously know that milk is labor-intensive. It's relatively expensive to feed. Mm-hmm. It sure is, yeah. But it's also the, you know, the most nutrient-rich and dense material that we can give to those young calves. Their young systems are designed for milk. They aren't designed mm-hmm. to be able to handle dry feeds yet. The enzyme profile isn't there for feeds that come out of plant-based things. So we can make that transition easier by supporting that microbiome. And microbiome, you know, is important to that. And microbials to be able to make that transition from just the lower intestine that we talked about earlier, Mm -hmm. that milk-fed side to being able to get the rumen going as well. Yeah, I mean, we, I think, you know, we don't want to forget that the rumen is still playing its part here in calves. It's still, it's starting to develop. We we start grain Spe- especially after and... Yeah, and especially after about three weeks of age, then the rumen starts to give us what I would consider a, a measurable amount of energy coming into those calves. Mm-hmm. Calves seem to stress a little more easily than, you know, maybe our cows and, you know, when we think about that stress, what what additional forces have you seen that can cause stress? And then, you know, how can we either help mitigate that stress through management or, again, maybe support the microbiome so that they are more prepared to deal with those stressors? Just because no matter how well you manage a herd, there's stress. Yeah. So the number one thing in young calves especially is lack of groceries. Not enough energy. Not enough energy. In the case of a beef calf that has a, a good producing cow, she, you know, that calf may go suckle eight to 10 times a day, small mm-hmm. meals numerous times a day. When we're feeding a dairy calf, typically we'll feed them two, maybe three times a day. 
Right. And we're feeding a lot of times milk replacer, Mm -hmm. which is a powder. It doesn't matter which brand of milk replacer you choose. It doesn't matter whether it's a high protein one or not. They all lack enough energy because the fat content, it's hard to get that much fat into a milk replacer and then get it to go back into a liquid. Right. Yeah. It, It just is. And so groceries can become a very limiting factor for these young calves, especially where we're feeding milk Mm -hmm. replacer and only two or three times a day, we're overloading that system for a while. They don't get the best digestion out of that versus if they had smaller meals, changes Mm -hmm. in the industry now with some of the the robotic milk feeders and things like that, where they can give smaller meals and let them consume milk more often, promote growth and intake. So there's that part of that strategy of groceries and making sure we get enough there. Right. And cold weather versus summer, for example, here in the upper Midwest, when it gets cold out, they need more energy. They sure do, yeah. And sometimes people say, oh, well, okay, I'll I'll start feeding them three quarts now instead of two quarts twice a day. Still probably not enough. It's Well, it might be enough from an energy standpoint, but now I've overloaded their system by feeding it twice. So if you're going to do that and you're going to support more milk, go to a third feeding would be one recommendation for that. Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier on their digestive tracts. The other part of the the grocery list for these young calves that I see as a stressor is consistency of the milk. Oh, yeah. And this doesn't matter whether it's whole milk or milk replacer. We need to make sure that we are consistent in what we're feeding to the calves. Mm -hmm. The same level of solids, the same level of protein and fat, that type of thing that's there. If I'm feeding waste milk, for example, I never want to recommend feeding mastitis milk. If it looks abnormal, do not feed it. That should go down the drain or into the pit. The second thing that I look at with calves is they're undergoing multiple changes. Yeah, there's a lot happening in 30 days, isn't there? If they're dairy calves, we're taking them away from mommy because she's going into the milking string. We're maybe grouping them either as an individual hutch or couple in a hutch. And then a couple weeks later, maybe they're going into, you know, smaller groups. Mm -hmm. If we're constantly adding animals into groups when we're using the robotic feeders, you know, we have all these changes that are going on in their life that those are stressors. Change, yeah. you know, that it's kind of like the lemming thing, you know, oh, change. And everybody throws up their arm and, <laughs> and screams, you know, it's kind of like yeah. the whole world right now. Well, animals are no different. They get the same thing from those changes. And so when we see these multiple changes that go on, especially if we make management changes at the same time is when we really throw these in. So I've got a newborn calf. I know we have to take care of horns mm-hmm. in order to keep safety for the animals and the people working with them. Right. So I decided to dehorn, vaccinate, um, tag. you know, tag, all these things on the same day. That's a it's huge a amount of stress. <laughs> and so if I can split these stressors out over a period of time, that's it, another beneficial helpful. management practice that we can look at because just the multiple changes they're going through is really a problem. And then the biggest one here in the upper Midwest, and even down south from heat stress, we talked about heat stress and cold stress in previous ones, but those outside stressors like weather, keeping a calf dry is really part of that Mm -hmm. critical thing when it's cold. And my simple thing for that is, you know, it's hard to crawl inside of a hutch sometime, but if if I go out and do an evaluation of calves that are struggling especially, one of the first things I do is I kneel down inside the hutch where the bedding is. And I give it the old three-second rule, and I stand up. And if my pants leg is wet, then it's it's wet. not bedded properly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, they need to be dry because a calf that's cold and dry can do just fine. A calf that's cold and wet, nah, they, they do not do well. It's a bad mix. They, they can't keep themselves insulated because that, that hair coat that they have becomes wet, and then it just transfers the heat right out of their bodies. And so just things like that with the outside weather stressors. And if we know these events are coming about, we know we're going to have to – do some management things just because of the way mm-hmm. we have labor available that we know are going to stress the calves. 
let's support them with some kind of nutritional and microbial supplement to help keep that microbiome there where it needs to be. Because yeah. the, the animal, when it starts getting stressed and releases cortisol, that signals to those bacteria in the gut as well, and it can help disrupt them. Yeah. It makes changes to that gut integrity and that gut wall. So that's really a part of the important thing. Anytime you stress an animal, bolster its nutritional status, bolster its microbiome with microbials. Right. Yeah. I mean, and again, once they start stressing, their use of energy starts to vary or where they're prioritizing energy starts to vary. And we want those calves grown. We want them healthy. We talk a lot about the first 30 days, right? And any farmer you talk to, they're going to say calf scours, calf diarrhea is almost unavoidable, it seems like, um, in in young calves. You know, it's, it's the number one issue. And then whether it's it's the infection itself or a lot of times just dehydration starts to become an issue. You know, talk to me about how the microbiome can help maybe, I don't want to say mitigate scours, but, you know, just help to kind of support either turning that around or not getting dehydrated. And how might we best set our animals up to maybe even avoid scours if that's possible? So the two major things that calves undergo is things that will kill a calf or Mm -hmm. damage them for the rest of their life are diarrhea and pneumonia. Yep. Pneumonia typically is much more prevalent after weaning Mm -hmm. and diarrhea is much more prevalent before weaning. Yep. And so when we're talking in this particular age group, the diarrhea that occurs, again, it's a disruption of their microbiome of some sort. I guarantee you that has happened every single time a calf has diarrhea. You cannot avoid that part. Right. And the problems that they have as we talked about, one is fluid loss, so dehydration. Mm-hmm. When we, we have diarrhea, that means we're, obviously, the consistency of the manure is a lot looser. That means there's a lot more water. Right. And it's flowing out of the calf. And so the milk feeding normally that we have is not enough to keep up with that. Right. And then they become dehydrated from that fluid loss. In addition, in that fluid, there's huge amounts of electrolyte salts. Mm-hmm. And so when they get diarrhea, they can very rapidly get electrolyte imbalances. And these electrolyte imbalances actually lead to metabolic acidosis in calves. Oh, there it is again, that sneaky acidosis. Calves are a little bit different that way than people that exercise and we sweat, for example, and we get dehydration and fluid Mm -hmm. loss from that. We don't necessarily struggle with metabolic acidosis, especially the level that these calves are. It's just this electrolyte imbalance where they're dumping so much sodium into their guts that they start getting acidosis. And we really need to address that because... We can deal with dehydration and they can survive dehydration to a certain point. If it continues and it gets mm-hmm. worse, then the dehydration can kill them. They can survive slight imbalances in their, their electrolytes. But when they start getting to the metabolic acidosis side, that kills a lot more calves than people think. That's, they just I mean, think, oh, well, they died of, of you know fluid loss. Well, no, they died of metabolic acidosis. Right. And so when we start talking about what we can do to treat these animals... We really need to look at replacing the fluids, and we Mm -hmm. do that with water, usually with an electrolyte solution, replacing the proper balance of electrolytes, which we add the powder in with from the electrolyte salts that go into the water, and then making sure that we help mitigate that metabolic acidosis that's going on. And a lot of that can come through things like acetate. Some people use bicarbonate. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are things that we can do to help mitigate that acidosis. And there are better ways to do that. BioVet makes a number of different electrolyte solution type products. If I was going to talk about one in particular, it would be our Calf Base Light series because it contains acetate at really high levels to help mitigate 
with that, that metabolic acidosis, mm-hmm. keeping that healthy beneficial population in that microbiome will give it more resistance mm-hmm. to pathogens coming on board that are going to create this diarrhea. You know, and as such, you touched a little bit on this, but, you know, how can BioVet play a role I guess very specifically in that first 30 days, I know we talked about supporting the microbiome and, and electrolytes. What might a management system look like in that first 30 days with calves and supporting that microbiome? So a way that I would recommend doing this at birth, I want to have mm-hmm. some source of nutritional microbial support going into that calf. Now in the BioVet line, we make capsules like GenerCap calf capsules or a paste product that can go in called BioStart, something like that, even NeoStart, which is another product. We can use any of those types of products to help support that calf right when it's born. Get it a large dose of microbes. Give it a good plan of nutrition to get started. Make sure that it can get, get the, the best start that it can. Rolling. And yep. then the second part of that is every single day when I'm feeding milk, I want to put a, some kind of a microbial into that milk. And BioVet makes a number of those as well. We make, you can do that? You can just oh, mix absolutely. it right in? We make GenerK. We make Generator WS. These are sources of some of the key vitamins. If you're feeding whole milk, may not be there at quite the levels we want mm-hmm. them to. Most milk replacers are supplemented pretty well, but they kind of lack some of the B vitamins. And then live microbes. And when I mix them into the milk, and then I'm going to be feeding the milk very rapidly, um, those microbes, they love living in milk. They're, they're fine on that short-term basis. It's, you know, I can't mix them in there and leave them for 24 hours because no, they, yeah, right, they right. will start fermenting the milk mm-hmm. and, and doing some things. But when I add it in right like that, it gives a really nice dose of these things Going in when I'm feeding large volumes of milk mm-hmm. that are going to stress the digestive tract anyway as far as volume capacity goes and could potentially disrupt the microbiome that way, at least I can get these microbes back in there and get them supported and, and keep that, right. that whole population healthy. Yeah, yeah. So those are the two major things that I look at for you know prior to 30 days. And I would actually consider you feeding microbes in milk until the day I wean. Sure. So yeah. I wouldn't just stop at 30 days. The first 30 days are very much the most critical. And we mm-hmm. do have a lot of uh, calf raisers that they feed it for the first three to four weeks. And then they feel that they've got their plane of nutrition, whether they're bringing calves up in the volume of, of milk they're drinking and so forth, stabilized, and they feel they can take them out. But I do think if you continue feeding those right through weaning, you're going to get the best growth rates on your calves. Right. And for the amount of microbial going in dollar wise at that stage versus the cost of milk and things like that, mm-hmm. it's a really low ex- you know, input that you have to put there and kind of an investment with a really high return. Right. And I mean, it, we all know the first 30 days really sets the tone, as we just said, for the next six, seven years productive life. Yeah. So and- even let's think about it in the short term. I don't give a calf the optimal level of nutrition it needs and it develops scours and it scours for three or four days. That means it takes three or four more days to wean the calf because it still has to develop. Right. So now I've got an additional three days of milk. How much did that cost me? I've mm-hmm. got the treatment protocol for the diarrhea. How much did that cost me? Now compare to that to the pennies that you're going to spend on a microbial on a daily basis. And it doesn't take much of a either increasing growth rate or decreasing incidence right. of diseases and things like that to really make the products pay for themselves. And and that's one of the wonderful things about microbes for calves is you see the difference as a calf raiser. Right. You can yeah. see it. Pretty quick from the really sounds quickly. of it. Really quickly. And yeah. if you push a pencil to it, the paybacks on calves are even better than they are on adult animals by far. Which, again, makes sense. And they're, and, and you talk to farmers and that's, that's the age group usually a lot of them are least interested in interacting with. Unfortunately, calves in general for if I'm a dairy producer... The cows are the ones making the milk, and I get a milk check. 
Right. Calves are a draw on my income because I'm having to feed them and they're giving me nothing mm-hmm. in return today. But they are the future of our herd. They sure are. And so mitigate your losses on these calves and get them to grow because they will be your future. And that's, that's, you know, that's all about the bottom line. So, you know, bottom lines always brings me to my favorite part of our podcast. Still no theme music, though. But, um, you know, what's what's the take-home message? What's the elevator pitch at the end of the day when it comes to um, supporting calves that first 30 days that's so critical? So we always do the first floor, second floor, Anna. Yeah. Um, if I was only going to the first floor, I want to get microbes in at birth. Yeah. I think that is my first floor pitch. Start the calves out right when they're born. If you do nothing else. If you do nothing else. If that's the only thing that you're going to do, spend your money and put it there. The second floor pitch would be then to also put it into the milk and and the starter grain and feed those microbes until weaning time. In both the rumen and the small intestine. Right. So get both of those going in the intestinal tract. So now I've started the calves out right. I've kept them going right. And I've got them through this most critical, most stressful time of their life that they're Mm going to have probably. The top floor thing to me is microbial management systems can be used pretty much all animals. Mm-hmm. Historically in our industry, we've relied on antibiotics to do a lot of preventive work. And yeah. microbials can maybe be a way that, especially with some of the new regulations that have come around for antibiotics, True. that we can rely on keeping that microbiome healthy and then restore the antibiotics back to if I need to treat for mm-hmm. some kind of a bacterial infection that the antibiotics are there for me to use and they're going to be highly effective. Yes. And so just that management system of that, put them back into that that proper role and then continue these microbes all the way through life. Right, it, yeah. Even though we're only talking about the 30-day window here, again, through weaning time and then we've got that rumen development, maybe once they're in you know that older heifer range and they're really not under a lot of stress and we can meet their energy requirements pretty well, we maybe can back off a little bit on microbes. And then when we hit that first 30 days of an adult cow, once she calves. And that's that's a whole nother ball game. It's another ball game. And so that can be another time we want to make sure we're using microbes through the entire life. But how cool. How cool that we could do that. How cool that it exists that we really can support them from birth through um, their productive life as a cow through this microbial management. And just, man, and the more we talk about it, the more I'm like, it just makes sense. It makes sense. It's relatively easy to do. It doesn't have drawbacks as far like feeding antibiotics has a drawback. We don't have withholdings, that kind of thing. We don't have an antibiotic going into a calf that has to be metabolized by that animal. Mm -hmm. And so let's say, for example, I'm using a tetracycline in the feed on a preventive basis and I still get an outbreak and now I want to treat. I have to use a lot more tetracycline because the animal systems are already primed to clear the tetracycline from their body. And so I don't have that when I'm starting to look at a microbial system from a prevention standpoint. I can still use those other tools when I need them and make them more effective on the treatment side. And really when you start talking about your time and treatment protocols and stuff, financially it's probably a wash or pennies on the dollar across the board. It's, I think there's, it's, economically in favor of the microbes, yeah. quite honestly. Prevention, you know, the old adage, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Sure is. It's always more expensive to treat animals. So if I can mm-hmm. prevent that, that's a, a huge win. To learn more about microbials, check out our other podcast episodes or read more at bio-vet.com.